It's like, let's say even you're using analytics for your product, they will tell you what, but they'll never tell you why. You really need to know why only by getting the feedback directly from the customers. And that's why you need to like go and talk to your customers and get the feedback from them. Only then you can actually build a product which is actually going to solve the pain point which they are hiring your product to solve. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And I'm Andy McMillan, CEO at User Testing. And today, we're very excited to have Karthik Suresh, co-founder and chief technology officer of Ignition on the show. Ignition is a collaborative hub for product teams to plan, execute, and measure the go-to-market side of launching a product. Thanks so much for joining us today, Karthik, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited. Great. Well, like everyone else, uh, I bet you're feeling the the impacts from inflation, higher gas prices, and really just generally uh, some concern around the economy. Um, we recently actually released some new test plan templates within user testing that enables our customers to better understand what their customers need, expect, uh, what their perceptions are around um, inflation, and even new products or offerings that they might be you know, putting out into the market. And we have a segment on our show called the Insight Segment, mm-hmm. and we actually used one of those templates to ask our contributors at user testing um, who are who happen to be moms, um, how inflation is affecting them. And so I'd love for us to watch this together, uh, listen together, and uh, talk about what we heard. Just the inflation on gas alone affects my day-to-day going to and from work. And just I have three children, feeding my children. Like, it's been tough. Like, just the cost of food and gas, like... Not on housing, my rent's gone up like so much. Taxes have gone up so much. It's been really, really trying, and we've been struggling to get by for the first time in five years. So it's been rough. It just has affected my day to day life um, extremely because um, I feel like I'm, you know, living like from paycheck to paycheck, um, which, uh, you know, nobody wants to do everything that we're seeing right now is is affecting everybody but the food prices the gas prices are the top top ones that i'm most concerned about my shopping is now looking more at what's on sale what is available because there is less available and what can i stretch further because I think if you can get more bang for your buck especially now i think that's more enticing for people especially for me when it comes to shopping habits, as far as going into physical stores, we are now doing more online to save on the gas costs and stuff. So we're not going into physical stores as much as we used to go into the physical store. So that's how it's affected that and how we shop. So it's affected how we shop more and the amount of we shop. I would still buy the things that I would need, of course, but um I just try to cut down on some of the things that I want versus what I need. So like the things I actually need, I would actually, you know, get 
but I wouldn't as, you know, splurge as much as I used to. Like I love going to Target and getting books. I'm going to have to do that less. So it is going to impact how I engage or do business with Target because I'm not able to do that as much. I'm not able to do that with Amazon as much. I'm not able to go out and try new stores that I haven't been able to try yet because I'm going to have to be careful with what I'm spending and how I'm doing it. Because some companies will take advantage of this and hijack the process way more than what they should. And this, to me, is a definite no-no for a company. I just want to feel like that business or organization is for me and is actually showing um, it showing ways that they are concerned for our economy and, and what's going on these days. So I just feel like what would make me um, more likely to engage with them is that showing that they care, honestly. So I thought that was really impactful. It's I was fascinated actually by um, the person who mentioned that they're now using all online sources to get their food and groceries because they don't want to pay for the gas to get to and from the store. I I didn't even go there. I I was actually quite surprised by that, but I guess thinking on it sounds pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, You know, as a dad and a co-founder yourself, you know, how, how did these messages resonate with you? Oh yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, very impactful. And, uh, Personally, yeah. So you know, a co-founder, you know, at the same time, I have two daughters, four and two, and you know, inf- inflation is definitely definitely uh, affected us all in different ways. Um, for me, from a personal side of things, uh, you know, yeah, gas is the probably the most um, impactful. Like, I think we have kind of reduced our travel plans for the summer, um, and also uh, in general, the rents are going up. You know, the the childcare. Uh, is going up and day to day in addition to the basic needs i think everything is going up and it it especially uh impacts us as a family because you know as a as a founder of a startup you know you don't take a a lot of cash out of the company so you basically you know it's all about equity here but then now we are forced to like decide like how much we really want to take out of the company because because everything is very expensive um but also the the I mean, if you take a step back, I mean, it's basically like we just went from a period of excess to a sudden shock. Um, and there was a time just six months ago when Fed was printing money and there was so much capital and liquidity in the market. You know, startups were getting funded at ridiculous valuations. Um, and uh, and then just in, like, in six months, like, boom, like now the liquidity is gone. Uh, the inflation is up. The war is such a big wild card. Nobody knows what's going to happen. There's no more subsidies. Um, so it's, it's more than more than like like a slow increase in inflation or something. It's not like some this is something which people expected. Uh, I remember like me talking to my co-founder way back in December saying, hey, <clears throat> I know things are heated up right now, but I don't think anything's going to crash in the next maybe couple of years. Maybe it's like 2024 might be a recession, but like, boom, it's just Q1 <laughs> of this year. We had this like um, a huge crash, uh, not just in the markets, but you know, primarily driven by both... Um, oil prices and also food food prices um so yeah this is definitely a huge shock but having said that i do think by the end of the year or or early next year we would be uh, in a different place um unfortunately that's going to come at a cost 
I mean, if you see what's happening today, the inventories are increasing. The demand is definitely decreasing. You know, uh, you can see the people who said that they're not even uh, trying to go to the retail store. So retail is going to get crushed. Um, and, uh, and then that, which means they're, they're going to make less money, which means unemployment is going to go up. Um, so eventually inflation, I think, will come on, you know, it will be controlled, but it's going to come at a cost to especially it's going to hurt the people who, you know, on the lower income side of things. And that's just the reality we are in. I mean, I think that we are already in the recession. Um, but yeah, that's a sad reality. Yeah, I think that's right, Karthik. You could certainly also sort of feel it in those answers. I mean, there were a couple of folks that sort of paused before they started speaking and you know, sort of really conveyed that impact. I thought it was interesting. Uh, one of the participants in the video talked about sort of observing how companies also react. I mean, she sort of had this feeling of like, we're having to deal with this. Uh, one participant talked how they might shop more online because they don't want to spend the money to drive to the store. So that that was interesting. And then uh, another participant said, uh, you know, the contributor talked about how, um, you know, some companies will use this as an excuse to raise their prices too much. And I thought that was really interesting, just sort of, you know, maybe obvious, but to really hear consumers talking about the impact of their families, but then also sort of how they're observing what brands and companies and stores that they work with do. Um, that sort of, to me, really highlighted, regardless of what these companies decide to do, how they communicate those decisions will be really important. Like, I've, I've you know, I know for a while airlines at one point were communicating, it's the higher fuel prices is why we're doing this. And as a consumer, you can sort of agree or disagree, but at least you had some some context as to why they're doing that. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting as well, just sort of the um, – idea of how are you engaging your customer on such a challenging issue i thought was was sort of fascinating yeah for sure um and you can see not just the customers you can see like uh, even even in the valley there the companies are really like trimming the workforce there are so many layoffs here happening so in the short term i think there is going to be a lot of pain and yeah it's very important that you know you you, you communicate that um, well to the customers and also what's happening is like everyone like for example i'm in the startup plan all our investors you know, sequoia yc everyone sending out memos saying hey you need to survive this you need to cut even if you have money in the bank you need to be conservative so there's almost like a group thinking going on where everyone is like you know even if we, for example if there's a company doing well and they don't cut people will be like questioning uh, it's like hey what are you doing you know we are in a recession so you need to cut so i think the short term there's going to be a ton of pain and they really have to manage uh, um, the communication right, uh, unfortunately. Um, but uh, again, I guess it was probably going to happen in the longer term is like, let's say um, when they all increase the prices, the demand is going to significantly go down and they're all going to be stuck with, um, you know, if we just talk about Walmart and Target um, for as an example, you can see that I think that the they have one of the highest increases in their inventories in decades. Um, so eventually they have to cut down the prices to, you know, kind of get rid of that. So I think it's going to get better, but it's going to get worse first. So I think it's going to get worse. Um, and then, yeah, everyone's going to go through the this so almost like the trough and, and go through a round of suffering and, and then it's going to get better. So in the next few months, how people manage the perceptions, how people communicate, how the companies can communicate to their customers um, and, and also how, how the customers can actually deal with this, um, especially families, for example, is going to be uh, uh, definitely it's going to be definitely a challenging time. 
Awesome. Thank you. I'm sure we could talk about that topic for a while, um, but that's not why you're joining us today. Um, as I mentioned, Ignition helps product and marketing teams successfully launch products. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, your company, yourself, and I guess maybe even what's keeping you up at night? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to maybe start with my own background. Um, I have a tech background. I started my career um, in a high-frequency Nalco trading space in New York. Um, I did that for about seven years before I realized I didn't want to be in financial services for the rest of my life. Uh, then went to business school and after uh, in London and after business school, I wanted to get into tech and specifically startups. Initially co-founded a company in fintech space. Um, did it for about a year, but that, that did not do well. Then joined another company called Craft as a second employee. And I was there with them for till Series A. So basically went through the whole uh, process of finding product market fit and eventually scaling the team. Um, then I joined Facebook as a PM. Uh, I was a PM on the Facebook app and then on Facebook Reality Labs. Um, so got a chance to understand how products are built at like much later stage companies and you know, public companies. Uh, and then while at Facebook, I met my co-founder, Derek, who used to run product marketing for Rippling uh, through, through, through this uh, community called OnDeck. Then we started um, brainstorming some ideas. And one thing which was obvious to us was like, uh, there are so many tools to help engineers. There's so many tools to help like product managers, like this product board uh, and, you know, the, the roadmark and product plan. And, and there are so many tools, but there's, there's no tools for product marketers or for go-to-market go processing general. Um, and at Facebook, for example, I was involved in several launches. Like, you know, we launched Oculus referrals. We launched, um, you know, Ray-Ban stories product. And it was managed from a spreadsheet, which had like 100 tabs. And there was a tab to keep track of other tabs. Um, and so this is clearly a pain point but nobody knew where the latest assets was. Like nobody knew where the latest logo was. And you have to educate you know, the whole marketing team, the partnerships team, and you need to message it to the execs, to different orgs. And that was a super painful thing to kind of go through it. And the way it was done was like, you basically had a war room every day where like 50 people would join this war room and they would literally like some kind of like a project manager would go through a spreadsheet and just, hey, is this done? Is this done? Are we on track? And literally check, you know, check uh, you know, the rows in the sheet. So, and whether it was Facebook or it was an early stage company, you know, like Kraft, um, the, the launch planning was always a pain and there was no tools to help you automate a lot of that. And which is how Ignition was born. It's it's awesome. It's a great founding story, um, and I think you're you're right on with the pain points. I mean, I I uh, I started my career actually as a developer, but then came up through the product management ranks at both small companies and large companies. And the pain points that you speak of, uh, they really resonate with me. And you you put so much time and effort um, into building a product and into launching a product. Uh, part of you know, a big part of our topic today is like why do product launches succeed or fail. I mean, all that effort, all that um, intuition about customers and, and goals in the market and the marketing and, and everything. And then sometimes they just they just don't work. And so um, I think to set up this conversation, we're going to talk about product launches. Um, but what we did was actually ran another user testing uh, study and collected a highlight reel of some product leaders talking to us about why product launches sometimes fail. So let's take a moment here and hear what they had to say. 
and you experience one of the top reasons product launches fail. Ah, yes. So if a support team is not aware that there's a, there's a new product launch that's happening or sales don't know what they're selling or don't understand what they're selling, customers are not, uh, uh primed to know that this is coming. Um, that the, de- the development team is not available for any hypercare or supporting the support team. This is where product launches will fail. And if people don't have the key messages, the storytelling, the value, and something else and some process that gets them bought into it and excited about it and willing to try it versus falling back to their old habits and just thinking, oh, my old habits are easier, it's dead. And I've had that happen quite a few times. Like that's been a pretty solid lesson. Um, I think going back, uh, people not holding up their end of the bargain. So if they have tasks assigned to them, them not getting their tasks done in time, or you know they they underestimated how much it's going to take for them to do, or what their capacity is going to be. So I think people not being realistic with their timelines um, is usually a, a big reason why I've seen things fail. I mean, usually we get things out the door, um, but I would say inconsistency. Um, ineffective marketing and maybe even a lack of communication among teams internally. The, the worst ones you can have is where the wrong product has been launched, which is like it didn't have any of the features or requirements or anything that the customer really needs. And basically it's like you're throwing a product there that's not, that was doomed to fail from the beginning because you, you uh, spec'd out the, the wrong, you built the wrong product. So that, that to me is the worst possible expectation where you launch the word, a product that nobody wanted. Again, going back to my first point, you may just miss uh, actually the point. You might think that you know your users, that you know what their problem are, that you know like what you're trying to do and just getting lost in, oh, I have a solution, I have an idea in mind, a feature. Let me put it out there. I'm sure they would love it when actually maybe your customer don't need it. Um, so I think just having an idea and not testing it, um, no matter like big or small or anything, like there is always feedback, there's always iteration that you can do before going to market with it. So I think that would be the first uh, problem. All right, so Karthik, um, I, I think you know lots of interesting points made in the in the video, um, I don't know if, if you had the same sort of empathetic reaction to these product leaders that, that I did, uh, having been through this, these kind of processes, but what were your, uh, what were your takeaways from the video? Yeah, it's, it's so, uh, it's so great to see the exact kind of problems, um, like we are going after being mentioned, uh, in that video. Um, it's great to see that the, the validation, but the problems are painful. So, um, you know, for example, the first person talked about like how, when you, when, when you launch a product, like salespeople sometimes don't know what's going on. Customer support has no idea how to support this new feature. Um, and then, so you have not really messaged all the key stakeholders and you just done a launch. And then, you know, typically like your engineering team or product team is like your launch is when it gets deployed to production. And then you go party, right? But then it's actually the beginning of a launch process where so many things have to happen. And you can see that pain literally come across in that video. Um, you know, it's basically, uh, it's also good to see people talk about, you know, communication, internal communication between various teams um, and also making sure you're launching something with the features which customers actually want. And um, and also like, I think the, the last person talk about, talked about like just losing track of the problem and just trying to push your own solution or idea. Um, but in general, I think there was like a lot of uh, like key themes around 
um, basically communicating to the internal stakeholders and lack of communication and having a process around a launch, uh, which is like the key um, as to like why product launches fail. I had to say, I have to say, when I was listening to that video um, or when I was watching those contributors comment on why product uh, launches fail uh, sometimes, it felt like a lot of blaming. Like it felt like a lot of like, oh, well, support didn't come along with the process and the marketing team, you know, and I don't know, like, is that a raw, like, did you you see that at all? I guess I can't empathize. I mean, I can empathize with what they're saying, but since I've never run a product before, maybe I might have a different perspective. Yeah, um, I, th- I think this is like way too common. You know, it's, it's, it's when, when they talk about this, this is something which I, I actually can relate to closely, even at Craft or at Facebook. Um, and, you know, all the times, for example, one thing I keep hearing in the marketing teams is like, hey, the engineering team, doesn't really update me on when things are going to ship. And we have this huge PR campaign, which is planned for next week. And then just a week before the engineering team is saying that, hey, sorry, the launch is delayed for two weeks. And then marketing team is like, hey, why didn't you tell me before? And the engineering team is like, hey, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's just a week. But they, they just don't understand like, how much of the work which goes on in actually setting up this messaging and the processes and reaching out to the, you know, the public relations firm. So I think just being able to empathize and understand like how much of how intensive this whole go-to-market process is across the company will be a good start. And that's basically um, you know uh, one of the pain points which kind of came across. But also just to like talk about um, you know, in just my own opinion uh, on on product launches in general, and some of the mistakes which people make is like, you know, you know, basically like sending an email is not a launch. <clears throat> you know, like a lot of the places you just you just launch, you know, you deploy you deploy your latest feature or release of production, and then you send out an email, and that's hey, the launch is done. But that's that's not a launch. You need to have a process. You need to have a process where you need to figure out like. You need to have a tiered process, for example, when you're launching a major project, it's a tier one launch. If, you, if it's a minor feature, it's a tier three launch. So a tier three launch could just be an email, maybe you update a blog, you, may, you update some FAQ. But for a tier one launch, you're going through the entire launch process where you're thinking about um, everything from you know, who you're targeting, what's your persona, you know, what's the messaging, how do you plan to position this uh, in the market so that people actually understand the value prop. Like, why should I use it? Okay, great, you launch this new feature, but why, why, just, why does it add? value and then what channel should i use you know if, if you're just sending an email e- email open rates are pretty low so you really need like a multi-channel approach to introduce products to people um and then so all of these actually takes time and the other thing the other mistake i, I keep seeing is like people they don't understand the objective um you know let's say you are creating a new product um and let's say you're creating a new category of products if you invest in SEO, it's not going to help because nobody's searching for your product. It's a new category. Um, so you need to invest in like content marketing versus um, if you're launching in a very competitive space, then the best way to do it is just go after your competitors' customers and then maybe offer them huge discounts. So really try to understand like how do you actually um, you know, bring this product or even a feature to the market and having a process around it and communicating this to all the stakeholders internally is so key and you know if a lot of companies don't do it well and that's why that's why product launches fail i i think that's exactly right karthik i'd also say if, um my experience is that 
one of the hardest parts about being a product manager at any kind of scale is you know, you're responsible for everything, but in charge of nothing. So if the support team, you know, they're, if 99% of their current tickets are the current product and you're launching a new product and they don't want to spend any time getting up to speed on the new product because it's not most of their tickets, uh, there's not a lot you can do about it other than trying to drive that alignment. And you talked a lot about like before you launch, you know, or part of the launch, how do you have all that alignment? A part of it is, it's just buying and understanding and focus. And I definitely think that sort of came through in the videos, you know, where people are just sort of like, this team wasn't on board or this team didn't get weird, you know, and it's really hard. It's sort of an innovator's dilemma with a new product launch in a lot of roles where they're mostly dealing with the existing product or the existing set of features. So I think that's right. It did make me wonder, uh, as I sort of preface with like at some level of size that gets harder, do you think this changes quite a bit, this sort of alignment issue or the product launch reasons for success or failure based on maybe the size of the company? Like, is it different things that make product launches fail at small companies versus big companies? Or perhaps um, the business model, the one that comes to mind for me is maybe the difference between sort of a consumer-centric business, like a B2C business or a B2B business where you're selling to another business. Do you think those are different reasons that product launches fail based on the size of the company or sort of what industry they're focused on? Yeah, I think I think they, those factors definitely uh, have an impact. Um, I mean, the fundamental uh, process or a go-to-market plan is the same, uh, whether it's a large or small company or a B2C or B2B. But then, uh, for example, let's talk about the size of the business, right? So in larger companies, they do have a process. They do have a dedicated go-to-market team. They do have like product marketing managers running a launch process and then investing in like, you know, basically coming up with marketing assets and messaging. But the biggest problem there is, is just stakeholder alignment. It's like not everyone's aligned on the messaging. Not everyone knows what's happening when when a product is launching and how to sell that product or communicate the value prop of the product. So that's like the biggest issue in a large company. In a smaller company, the issue is there is no process. It's almost like you know the, you're you're so tied up in terms of resources. Like, do you really want to spend time in actually coming up with a launch process? And you know, and also people sometimes don't have that skill. To actually take a product to the market, most of its uh, most of the uh, efforts in the early stage companies are you know focused on engineering efforts, just building the product, making sure and there's no UX issues, there's no bugs, there's a stable. Versus, versus like actually thinking about okay, how do I actually position this product? How do I message it to my customers? How do I reach my customers? So I don't think there's enough investment in the process to begin with. So that's the issue in in in, in earlier stage companies or smaller companies. Um, in a now coming to the business model side of things, when consumer centric or a business centric, then there I think still the fundamental you know thinking about like who's your persona, who's your ideal customer profile, you know how do you message a value prop, how do you position it, you know what does the market look like, all of that is is exactly the same, but then the channels you use to actually onboard and acquire customers are very different. So you need to think about what you're investing in. Maybe on the B2B side, you probably have a sales-led motion or a product-led motion. And then on the consumer, it's like a very different way of getting your you know, users onboarded and acquired and onboarded. So that's where a lot of the issues occur. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the, the fundamental go-to-market process or a go-to-market strategy and plan, the various components are are pretty much the same, um, but then there are very specific problems when depending on the size of the business model. Yeah, so it sounds like there's certainly considerations for um, 
the size of the business, the business model itself. Um, but you did just mention that there's sort of common elements that are important in any sort of go-to-market plan, regardless of size or, or business model. So can you talk a little bit about that? What are some of the key elements in a go-to-market plan? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And uh, so when you so when you first think about launch planning or a go-to-market plan, the very first thing you want to do is like, hey, what are my objectives? You know, what are the KPIs for the launch? You know, we talked about, you know, is, is your objective, to, you know, are you creating a new category or are you entering a competitive market? Um, and then what are your KPIs? So very clearly defining objectives and KPIs for the launch. What, what constitutes success? That's kind of where you begin with. Then you then you go into the target audience. Like basically in target audience, the first thing you need to do is think about who is your ideal customer profile. That's basically defining the kind of companies you're going to go after. You know, talking more from an enterprise, um, you know, client's perspective, uh, and then the buyer persona. Is it like a PM? Is it a PMM? Like what is a buyer persona within those companies? So and then defining that uh, persona uh, is pretty critical. And then you know a lot of the times. There's a lot of confusion uh, in the go-to-market side of things is because uh, there are different members of the sales team. They're not very clear as to like who they are actually like going after and pitching to, especially when there's a new product or a feature. Um, so clearly defining the persona is important. The next step is like thinking of, Andy, so you had a question. No, no, I was, I was just going to um, jump in and ask. I, I feel like um, defining personas is, is really important. We heard one of the contributors in the videos just sort of reminded me um, towards the end talked about uh, alignment with the actual need of the product. And so I think we sort of started with some of the videos saying, you know, it wasn't aligned with support or I wasn't aligned with marketing. Um, but towards the end, someone said, you know, sometimes these product launches just aren't connected with what the ultimate need actually was of the user. Um, you know, there are things that you've seen products teams do to, to think about that and that need being Maybe the product defined broadly, not just the the widget that's being built, but the you know the service, the marketing, everything around it. Um, I, I just thought that was an interesting observation when he talked about the buyer persona. It sort of, to me, sort of reconnected in my head that comment from the video. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so critical that you uh, <clears throat> you really understand the buyer persona and the pain points, because only when you do that, then the next step of the go to market plan is like trying to figure out the messaging. Like, how do you message it to the users? So that they understand the value problem. It's like, okay, you you build this cool feature. So so what? Like, well, how does it solve my problem? Like, and how is it different from the solution I am using it? And that's where positioning comes into play. Like, how are you positioning your product? You know, it's not just this new Coke, which just like you know one of the famous products which failed. <laughs> um, you know, really thinking about like, <clears throat> like how exactly are you positioning your product? Are you doing like a price based positioning? Are you being like a value based positioning? Um, like really thinking about what's the message and how you're going to help differentiate your product from the, the rest of the competitors and that's going to be critical so that's the next part of the go-to-market plan so once you're done with uh, the messaging and positioning then you need to think about what channels you're going to use to reach those persona right so what channels you're going to use and obviously you know it shouldn't just be like one channel hopefully you have multiple channels in mind a combination of like emails and digital marketing and ads and SEO. So what kind of channels, what is the channel mix well, you're going to use to actually reach the customer? Um, then then once you decide on the channels, then you need to work with uh, the marketing ops team and designers to actually come, coming up, come up with marketing collateral, um, you know, copies and assets and generate all of that 
then you need to, and then depending on the type of the company you train, you need to train your salespeople. So generate sales enablement material. You need to generate, you need to train your customer support, customer success people. So you need to have like webinars to train all of them. And you need to have a lot of material to actually train them about the feature, which is going to be launched. Um, and then finally, you have a launch day where you have your whole launch day checklist, where you basically run a checklist to make sure the engineering is ready, the marketing is ready, the sales is ready, the execs have signed off on the messaging. They make sure that, and then the legal, and privacy and other folks in the company have also been kind of signed off on the messaging and the launch as a whole. Um, so there's a whole launch date checklist you need to put together. Uh, and then finally, there's the stakeholder management we talked about, you know, make, making sure you message the same same thing at various levels to the execs, to the salespeople, to your customers, you know, to, to engineering team, to marketing team. Just make sure everyone's on the same page before you hit the go live button on your launch, right? So all of these actually is is, is, is basically like a go-to-market plan. So it's basically requires significant investment upfront, um, which uh, you know a lot of the comp- a lot of companies miss. And people who do it right are the ones which really succeed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when when you say it, you know, um, out loud like that, and and all those important elements, it it really does track. And I, I love the balance of internal alignment along with, you know, really understanding who your customers are. You know, when you talk about a channel plan, for example, like you can't just build that in isolation without understanding where are your customers? What channels are they using today? And so I think um, a really nice call to call out to balancing both of those things. So um, I have to ask you, given um, your background at Facebook and now Meta, um, what are your thoughts on the metaverse and the launch of the metaverse? Like, does that classify as a good product launch? Was that a success? Is it a success? Oh, yeah, that's probably you could have a, an entire conversation or podcast just on that topic. <laughs> um, that's definitely a loaded question. Um, you know, just, just to talk about metaverse, I know people have mixed feelings and um, right now the stock stock is not doing well, but I'm a huge fan of the metaverse personally. Um, and especially COVID has accelerated uh, this whole move to the metaverse. Uh, I, can, I can talk about Ignition, for example. Ignition, we are a fully remote distributed company. Uh, most of our team members are in different locations and different geographies and across different continents. And we use this uh, software called Gather.town, which is an office, like it's like a metaverse um, for office space. And you can actually see everyone's avatar sitting next to each other. And you can walk to walk to the other person to just initiate a conversation. And that has significantly improved our productivity as a remote company. So you can see those metaverse applications in real life right now happening. And I only think it's only going to accelerate. Um, there's the, also, when you talk about metaverse, there's so many different initiatives. There's the whole gaming side of things, uh, which uh, which is like a separate category. Uh, and then there's like workforce um, for metaverse. And then there's events, which is another huge application. So it's gaming, and then um, and then the whole Web three, uh, which is which is basically enabling a lot of the infrastructure to the mode of the metaverse, where the incentive models are going to be very different. Um, and I was in Facebook Reality Labs, and um, definitely I would say the adoption is still slower. It's not; it's it's probably a minor. Like you, Facebook has like billions of people, but o- Oculus probably have a few million people using that. Um, but I think um, it's just a matter of time before uh, the metaverse um, have, finds its application in large numbers across various use cases. Um, again, I can go into each of these use cases in depth, but 
<laughs> that would probably be you know a, a, a separate podcast on its own yeah i think you're right it's a loaded question you you handled it well <laughs> i know you weren't really expecting that one um hey so we're going to we're going to move over to um the lightning questions. So these are um, questions that we ask every guest that comes on the podcast. So um, first one is, what's a book that you've read recently that you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I was reading this book uh, this last week called uh, Build by Tony Fennell. And uh, it's uh, it's basically, you know, there's a guy who was a founder of Nest uh, and got acquired by Google. And uh, he talks about uh, everything about building a company, uh, not just building products, but also like running teams, recruiting, going through acquisition. And that was just fascinating. That's just definitely a fascinating read and I highly recommend uh, uh, this book. Yeah, I love it. I love the subtitle, An Unorthodox Guide to Making Things Worth Making. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, all right. Next question for you. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would give to someone trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback? Yeah. I mean, for me, this seems like common sense. Um, it's like you're building a product for your customers. And if you don't get their feedback, then what are you really building? But then on the other side, I, I, I mean, I've interviewed uh, so many product managers where they have never talked to a single customer. Um, and I think there's a whole process, like it's, 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 it's yeah, maybe introduce a lot of friction and, or maybe people rely too much on data and analytics versus actually, you know, soliciting feedback. Um, so it's almost like an irony in my mind. So when I, when I, when I talk to people, uh, it's like, let's say even you're using analytics for your product, they will tell you what, but they'll never tell you why you really need to know why only by getting the feedback directly from the customers. And that's why you need to like go and talk to your customers and get the feedback from them. Only then you can actually build a product which is uh, no, actually going to solve the pain point which they are hiring your product to solve. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're speaking our language, uh, Karthik. Um, so when you think <laughs> of the future of product, what are you most excited about? Oh yeah, I I'm a huge product buff. I'm excited about so many things. Again, this is again I could talk a lot of um, to, to, I can go on and on about this question. But one of the things I'm I'm most excited about is like the pace of the the pace and the acceleration of innovation and the pace at which the new technologies are being built. We just talked about metaverse in this podcast as well. Like when I was growing up, um, I I didn't have a laptop. I just had access to uh, a desktop. Um, computer and I had a dial-up broadband internet. Um, you know, I had to use my phone to connect. And if somebody told me that in in another ten years you would have like a self-driving car or an AI model which just writes content on its own, or or a space or a rocket which lands itself, um, you know, back on Earth, I would be like, oh, it's probably a hundred years away, or at least fifty to sixty years away. And here we are, just like ten, twelve years from that time where. Like 15 years from that time where you know all of this is happening so the the most exciting thing about the future of product is the pace of innovation the, the acceleration and you know it's just even even in larger companies you see that like there's less of inertia people are more open to change the leadership is pushing for a culture of change and innovation and that's the most exciting part and i just can't wait to see what the next 10 years is going to bring yeah, I totally agree with that. It's amazing how much uh, things have changed. 
in the last couple of decades, I too can uh, relate or, re- or remember the days of dial-up and, and just a desktop computer and a laptop. So it is crazy what, what, we, um, what we're seeing around us um, in that short period of time. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. And for listeners out there, if you want to watch the videos from today's episode, you can head on over to our show notes. Um, We also have videos where we asked product leaders if they think it is easier to launch a product today compared to five years ago and what they believe the ingredients are to a successful product launch. So lots more goodies over there. Karthik, how can people learn more about you and Ignition? Yeah, our website is haveignition.com. It's H-A-V-E-I-G-N-I-T-I-O-N.com. And that's our website. And, you know, um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Karthik Suresh LBS uh, or Twitter, Karthik Suresh, first name, last name. That's my handle. Um, Yeah, thanks a lot for uh, having me on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.